Welcome to the November 28th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and the sermon is entitled, The First Gospel, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we begin the services of Advent, of course, it always springs from the hope of the Old Testament. We think about the fact that the hope springs from the Old Testament, that those who were in the Old Testament day look forward to the Messiah, look forward to the Son of God, look forward to the hope that they were going to have. And so as I begin my preparation of Christmas sermons, I naturally go back to the Old Testament and as we arrive here at Clifford Baptist Church today, the first Sunday of Advent, I can confidently say to you that we are now plunging into the busiest season of the year between the decorations and the preparations and uh, all the shopping and all the get-togethers. We go through the fastest days of the year. And yet, as I have striven to remind the church for 40 Christmases as people of God, while we like to participate in all of that activity, and it's all good, uh, all of it is uh, bringing us together, still we always must set some time aside for a completely different purpose. It's a purpose that the world largely misses in the midst of the lights and the trees and the shopping and all of the things that we do. The world misses the main purpose of the reason we meet at Christmas time. We are to stop in the chaos, and we're to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If we leave Jesus out of his own birthday celebration, what a sad fact. And much, perhaps most of the world does just that. He is essential to this season. We celebrate Christmas not because of the trees and the lights. Our, prim our primary focus as we worship at Christmas because Jesus Christ came to us. And all of this holy season revolves around God Almighty who loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to us that we might have the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And it all began physically with a baby in a manger. And sometimes the baby in the manger gets drowned out by all the other celebrations of the season in our country, in our world. We need to concentrate on the baby in the manger. Sadly, many people of the world walk by manger scenes at Christmas time, but they never see the baby in the manger. It's all about him. Amen? We're to keep it all about him in this season of the year. So I'm going back to a Christmas theme, and I've touched on this theme in years past. But we have many new folks here at the church and many, many who are joining us by streaming in these days. And I want to cover this passage of Scripture again. I did years ago, but I want to come back to it and to cover it once again with our new listeners, with our new people. And those of you who have heard it before, probably you will remember because it stands out in my mind so well. So here's the question as I begin this sermon today. When did Christmas become a necessity in the plan of God, God's hand. In order to travel back to the origin of Christmas, we go back to the beginnings of human history. As God created the heavens and the earth, it all began with a perfect environment and in sinlessness. As God created, it began 
in sinlessness, with no problem, with no downfall, with no rebellion. It was perfection. Everything in the world worked together for perfect goodness and harmony. The sun and the moon perfectly gave light to the earth. The animals traveled the land freely because there was no such thing as a predator. There was no fear among the animal population because there was no animals there to kill any other animals. Trees yielded perfect fruit. All was in harmony. All was in perfect symmetry and synchronization. At the pinnacle of God's creation, he made the man and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The breath of life. The breath of eternal life. As God created Adam, God created him so that he would never die. He would be in this perfect environment for all of eternity. Now, friends, I want you to know, I don't believe this is just a cute little Bible story. I believe this is history. I believe this is exactly how God created the heavens and the earth. And it did begin with a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They were literally the first human beings created by the very act and the very hand of God. So... In order to increase Adam's measure of perfect happiness, God put him in a deep sleep. He took a rib from his side. He created a companion, a perfect complement to him, and her name was Eve. The name Eve means full of life or the mother of life. And so here is this perfect couple in this perfect environment, and perfection would go on for all eternity under the hand of God. This perfect union was God's creative act, and it began as an act of marriage. God created marriage as he created Adam and Eve. You can find that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And as Adam and Eve were to live eternally in this perfect place in total fulfillment, I want you to note this back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says that God blessed them to have children. So children were also to be added in this perfect state of the home of Adam and Eve. The Garden of Eden was to be an ongoing state of joy, an ongoing state of growth. Adam was going to work it. Adam was going to bring produce from it. But it was going to be very, very light work because God was doing all the provision in this perfect state. Children were going to come effortlessly in this perfect state. But God gave Adam and Eve one rule of denial. Only one. One rule they could not break. Do not eat the fruit off of one single tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, all that Adam and Eve knew to this point was goodness and innocence. This one denial protected them from rebellion, protected them from the consequences of sin if they were to fall into it. So this one denial, stay away from this one tree and all will be well. I want you to note Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. So turn with me because we will be in these beginning chapters of Genesis all during this sermon. So Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 17. As God commands that every tree of the garden they could freely eat, here's the denial Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was no maybe in that statement. There was no probably in that statement. Thou shalt surely die. Now most of us know the outcome of this perfect relationship with God. But let's read it once again. Let's go back to it once again. Because I want you to... 
to catch this, I want you to understand this. You have to understand this passage of Scripture before you can ever begin to understand the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible finds its beginning right here in this Scripture. This Scripture necessitates what's going to happen in the remainder of the Bible. So let's read it again. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear these words, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So here is the sad beginning of sin and rebellion and disobedience toward God. This scene necessitates the rest of the Bible now. The fall into rebellion, the fall into sin. This scene now makes it a requirement that we need a Savior. Someone to forgive us. Someone to save us. Now the serpent is the embodiment of Satan. And he corners Eve and he lies to her. He tells her that eating this fruit and disobeying God's command would surely not cause her to die at all. God has just overstated his case to you, Eve. He said those words, but he would never keep that promise. When he said, thou shalt surely die, you will not die if you eat this fruit. No, Eve, you will not die. In fact, what will happen is you will attain greater wisdom. God is just holding you back. God is keeping you simple. He's keeping you subservient to him. He doesn't want you to progress forward. Eat the fruit. Eat the fruity. Your eyes will be opened, and you'll be a God yourself. You'll be like the creator God. Well, sadly, Eve was seduced and deceived to believe that lie. And in this act against her creator, she thought perhaps would be harmless Maybe she thought it would even be the right thing to do if she could be more like God. So she eats. She disobeys. She outwardly rebels against the very stated word of God. 
And according to the word, she merely offers the fruit to Adam, and he too eats as well. Now, the moment they rebelled against their father, things changed around them and in them. And they knew it immediately. There was no time for them to digest that things maybe don't feel the same. When they ate that fruit, they knew change had come to them. Sin changed the very physical nature of the earth. Roses were growing thorns. Animals were hunting and devouring one another as hunted and prey. Storms began to rage on the earth. Weeds began to grow in the Garden of Eden. But something also happened inside Adam and Eve. It didn't just happen on the outside of the earth's surface, but something happened on the inside of the first man and the first woman. Their eyes were opened to evil and wicked thoughts. For the first time, wickedness ran through their minds. They never had a wicked thought in the moments, the days before. However long they lived in perfection in Eden, they'd never had a stray wicked thought. And all of a sudden, thoughts were going through their mind they'd never contemplated before. And they felt guilty and ashamed and dirty. And even with no other woman around, Adam did not quite see Eve as he used to. She wasn't as perfect as she had been before. He began to notice some flaws in her. And she then became self-conscious about herself. And as they recognized their nakedness, they knew they needed to cover up one against the other, because the innocence was gone. And so they covered their once innocent nakedness with leaves. Well, of course, God knew all of this was happening. God was privy to everything that was going on. He was the bystander who watched it. Remember, God is a God of free will. He could have reached out. He could have obliterated Satan and the serpent if he wanted to. He could have held that fruit away from Adam and Eve and denied it to them and maintained their perfection, and yet God allowed it to happen. God is a God who allows us to make our own decisions. And some of us who are here, myself included, can look back and regret some of the decisions we've made in life, but it was because of God's free will we were allowed to make them. So God knew all of this was happening. And yet he walks through the garden and he calls their names. Where are you? It's a great characteristic of God. Not only did he seek Adam and Eve in their innocence, God also always seeks the sinner. And he sought them out, knowing that they were guilty, knowing that they had sinned, knowing that they'd created this great chasm of sin between himself and them. But when Adam and Eve hear their names, they do not bound 
toward him in that unbridled love. Every time that he would walk through the garden, they would run to him and before him, but rather they hid in their guilt and their shame. And when God first questions them about their new knowledge, Adam shows the first result of sin. He points to Eve, and he says, God, I had it so good until she showed up. She is the one who led me astray. She is the one who led me into sin. She forced me to eat the fruit. Read that passage of Scripture again. She didn't force him to do anything. She just held it out and he went after it. So now lying is beginning. So the first time now, Adam sees his wife Eve as his adversary, not as his helpmeet. And he accuses her and he blames her for his own wrongdoing. And he wounds her with that pointed finger, singling her out before God. You know, I have an old study Bible in my library. I've had this Bible since my college days. And leafing through it and, and looking at this passage, I made a note many, many years ago. Uh, the note in my old, old college Bible says, to err is human, to blame it on somebody else is more human. Well, as their sin comes to light, God has no choice but to administer the punishment that he had promised for their disobedience. Genesis 2:17 you shall surely die. I want you to remember this. God never breaks a promise. God never breaks a promise even when it's negative and even when it's hard. I will say to you as we look forward in time, God has said everyone who rejects my son and closes their eyes on earth in rejection of Jesus as Lord and Savior, will go to hell. And when the final day comes and the final count rolls, he will not break that promise. He is a God of the same character from the first page of the Bible to the last page of the Bible. He keeps his promises. Even when it's hard, he keeps his promises. So in the midst of telling Adam... Now because he's a sinner and he's lost, he's going to sweat with hard work to make produce out of the ground for the rest of his life. He tells Eve, in this perfection, he said, you will have children. But now he says, as a sinner, you will indeed have children, but it will be very painful. And God also says, your marriage relationship, which was once perfect, now your marriage relationship is between two sinners. And where it used to be effortless to be in the marriage relationship, now because there are two sinners married together, it's going to take work to maintain your marriage. And every once in a while, the sparks are going to fly because two sinners are dealing with one another. Yes, Gwen and I have had that happen. <laughs> but here's the main and the ultimate punishment of God. Underline this. Genesis 3, verse 19. God says, For dust thou art, and unto dust 
thou shalt return. There's the ultimate punishment. You both will die. That one statement necessitates the rest of the Bible. But not only did God speak a curse to Adam and Eve, he also curses Satan, the serpent, for misleading them, misguiding them, and lying to them, deceiving them against God's creation. And God says this to the serpent. And I want you to please underline these verses. These are two of the most pivotal verses in all of your Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. This is God's word to the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above all every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15, a key verse of the Bible. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, as we look at those verses, I want you to notice that God says that Satan will hate and struggle against her seed, Eve's seed. Well, wait a second here. In all the biological and biblical information that I've collected over the years, the seed is a male term. The male is the one who carries the seed, not the woman. Except in one case, virgin birth. One case in which the man does not carry the seed, but the woman does. Virgin birth. When God mentions Eve's seed, it's in the Bible's first reference to Christmas. The virgin birth. The coming of the Savior of God by a virgin mother. And what God describes here is a battle between Satan and Jesus. We know who wins the battle. The battle will ensue, but we already know the winner of the battle. Look at Genesis 3, the last part of verse 15. The battle says, Between thy seed, her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So listen, folks. Satan is still alive. Satan is still active in this day. He still stirs up skirmishes and temptations among us. But the battle against him is already won. It is already over. Already completed. In Genesis chapter 3, God says, Satan... You will bruise the heel of the seed of Eve, who is Jesus, the Son of God. But listen, Satan celebrated when Jesus died on the cross. Take that, Jesus. I bruised you to death. I bruised you so that you're going to be buried. But when God raised his son from the grave on the third day, on that Easter morning when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb, he immediately crushed the head of Satan himself. And the battle was won that day when Jesus walked from his tomb. Now, most of us living in the country have seen a snake that a car runs over, right? I love to run over a snake with Gwen in the car. She raises her feet like something's going to happen. 
But even though the tires have crushed the snake, sometimes, many times, that snake still has wiggle in it. I like to look in the rearview mirror and see the wiggle still going on. In fact, if you get close enough, you would stop your car and go back. There's still enough life in that snake that he would threaten to bite you because there's enough wiggle left in that snake. That's Satan's condition right now. His head is crushed. He is in the throes of death and dying and going to hell, but there's still some wiggle left, and he's still dangerous. He knows his end, but he still attempts to drag people to hell with him. Why? It's his one last dying breath of hurting God Almighty by dragging his children away from him. It's his final push to hurt God's children and to hurt God himself, dragging them to hell without a Savior. So our mission, church, our ministry, church, in this season of the year and throughout the year that is to come, at Christmas and in the months that are going to be ahead of us, we are to lead people to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Son of God, the only one who can offer forgiveness and life and heaven and a home there everlasting. We lead them to Him and to Him alone. We are in this battle. Satan is fighting for souls. Our world has so many philosophies And they're all concocted by Satan, fighting for souls, taking people away from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are the army out there, and we are to be fighting the battle to win souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. So our work is not done when we say amen here. Our worship may be done as we walk out of these doors, but our work begins when we walk into the world with the good news of Jesus on our lips. We are ministers of his gospel and his life. This verse of scripture that we studied, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is called the Proto-Evangelion. Write that in your Bible. Proto-Evangelion, and it means the first gospel. The first gospel. Of the Bible. This is the first place in the Bible that God tells us He would send His Son, born of a virgin, to save us from the shame and the guilt and the death that sin brings by crushing Satan's head. So while we celebrate little baby Jesus, born in a manger, born of a virgin, this verse teaches us that His little rough bed of a feed trough, a manger, was overshadowed by an old rugged cross. Jesus, the perfect son, the perfect lamb of God, came to this earth in this beautiful Christmas story, but we know ultimately he came to lay down his life as the lamb of God that we might be forgiven of our sin. That he would lay down his life in order to crush Satan's head and take him away from us for all eternity. So when we celebrate the joy of the baby Jesus, we celebrate the joy of knowing that we can be saved. So here's the simple question today. I ask this question in this house. I ask this question to those of you who are streaming with us today. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I'm not asking you if you've come to church. I'm not asking you if you read your Bible. 
I'm not asking you if you're moral. I'm not asking you if you do, do good things. I'm asking you, do you have a personal relationship with the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to save us? Do you know him as your Savior? Listen, the truth of the matter is every person on earth belongs either to Satan or to Jesus. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. There is no purgatory. You either belong to Satan or you belong to Jesus. John 8, 20, 42, 44, Jesus says you either have God as your father or Satan as your father. Which one do you belong to? You're either found in forgiveness or you're still lost in sin. You face either a home in heaven or a Christless torment in hell. That is the truth of the Bible. That is the promise of the Bible. That is the promise that God will not change. We face one of the two, a home in heaven or an eternity in hell. And it all comes down to this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? The one who came, the one who lived as the Lamb of God, the one who died on the cross, perfect. The one who rose from the grave to crush Satan's head. Do you know him? Is he your Savior? Do you have a relationship with him? With everything that is in me this morning, I invite you to him if you've never received him. I ask you, to come to him. I ask you to profess him. He died publicly. He rose publicly. You need to come publicly. If you're at home on stream today, get on your knees today and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart, to live in you, and you accept him as your Savior. You want to be forgiven of sin and given life eternal, and you want to live for him and worship him and live with him in heaven forever and ever. Accept him as your Savior. Today is the day. This is the moment. This is the time. There's no better day. There's no better minute to receive him than right now, this moment. Come to him. Come to him. I want to tell you one of the most joyous moments of my life in these days. When those little grandsons are home at my house, and I am coming in from somewhere, they're waiting for their papa to get home. And Gwen, Gwen has one of those little apps on her phones where she can watch where I go. I don't know if I like it or not, but that she's got it. Not that I care that she knows where I am, but those little boys watch that app, and they see me turn off 29, and they see me turn on to 151, and they see me turn on to Alcock Road, where our house is, and they see me turn down their my driveway. And when I pull in that parking place, those little boys are bounding off that porch, arms wide open, ready to meet their papa. There's no greater feeling, friends, than seeing those little boys running with their arms open, ready to meet me. There is no more touching sight in all of heaven, in all of creation, than God Almighty witnessing one child of God with arms wide open, rushing to Jesus as Savior. No greater sight in all of heaven. Today, if you need him, you rush to this altar. If you're home, fall to your knees. I might even ask you to open your arms and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's what Christmas 
is all about. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this sweet morning, Lord, as we begin a Christmas season once again. Father, thank you for what you did for us. All of us sin and all of us fall short of the glory of God. It began with Adam and Eve, but it's continued on with every human being who's ever lived except Jesus. And he came as the perfect Lamb of God, and he gave himself to the cross and walked from the grave that we might be forgiveness and that we might be given forgiveness and that we might be restored as children of God. Father, thank you for that vision I have in my mind of two little boys that run to welcome me home. Today I have that vision for one child of God, a boy, a girl, a man, or a woman who just needs to run into the arms of Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. I need you as my Savior. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to walk with me. I want to worship you. I want to serve you. I want to live with you forever. Lord, here I am, arms wide open. Receive me, Father. The Bible teaches us that you will never turn one away who comes to you in faith. Bless that moment in someone's life today. Bless we who are believers to deepen our relationship with you and maybe a little more frequently than we are used to doing. Help us to run like children into your open arms to thank you for the way you love us. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.